We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Chris Crawford. Today is Sunday, February 4th, 2024. Really appreciate you guys joining us. This is an episode that is sponsored by Fantrax and really excited. We're starting our daily shows. New episode every single day of the week. I will be joined by a very special guest every Sunday. I have a very special guest with me today. Known this guy for a long time. Does excellent work for CBS Sports. Was just recently nominated for, I believe, his second saber award maybe third or fifth or uh, seventh it wouldn't shock I, me i think it's the fifth nomination but i'm oh my i'm uh, jim great. kelly right now i have zero <laughs> wins so i don't know after five nominations if you lose all five i feel like i should just not give you any more like spare okay. yourself the indignity fair uh, enough but i am joined today by my good buddy rj anderson rj how are you doing today i'm doing well how are you doing i'm hanging in there my friend hanging <laughs> in there um, we're going to be talking about some prospect stuff. We are going to take a look at some prospects that could help you in the 2024 season, uh, five hitters, five pitchers, but I want to start, uh, RJ, I should have told you, I was going to talk to you about this. What did you make of the trade? What the, and of course I'm not talking about Gregory <laughs> Santos, all due respect to him. What did you make of the Corbin birds trade? Yeah, I thought it was a home run for the Orioles. Yeah. You know, but we, we've been waiting on them to consolidate some of that prospect depth into an impact level starting pitcher. And they did the latter part. They really didn't consolidate much. You know, right. I'm a fan of Joey Ortiz. I think he is a legit starting shortstop at the big league level. Mm-hmm. I think he has more strength than people realize. It's just, unfortunately for him, it doesn't come in the form of home runs. He's more of a ground ball and line drive hitter. So it'll be right. interesting to see if Milwaukee tinkers with that at all. But, you know, there's a lot of risk with DL Hall and we'll see what the draft pick ends up resulting in it just felt like it was one piece shy of what i would have wanted for the brewers to get and maybe that's just the market fair enough if so but i really liked it for the orioles and i understand what why the brewers did what they did and what they're seeing in those players even if again it just fell a little short for me yeah i think that's totally fair it's it's nothing against the players that they got those two guys have a chance to be really solid major league players and you know i hate talking about cost control but that is something you have to keep in mind when you're a team that operates like a small market club as milwaukee tends to do um it was interesting when that trade was made i was thinking well this isn't a good match what the outfielders aren't the need for milwaukee and that's it's just one of those things where like yeah, it's a top 75-ish prospect. It is a guy who would, if he qualified, would probably be in the back end of a top 100 as well. But Corbin Burns is really good. I think yeah. this is uh, a home run trade. You hit the nail on the head, I think, with that. 
Um, really curious to see how Burns handles. I think his fantasy stock goes up, especially with uh, Baltimore um, getting a mm-hmm. chance to uh, pitch in those friendly confines. And for a better baseball team, I think Baltimore has a chance to be a World Series contender. All right, let's talk about some prospects. And let's start with the guy. Uh, speaking of Milwaukee, let's start with Jackson Churio. I think if you take a look at Jackson Churio's numbers, you're not going to be overwhelmed. I mean, he hit 282, 338, 467. That's at 805 OPS. There's nothing wrong with that. Did steal 44 bags and hit 22 homers. I think what people need to realize is, is this is a 19-year-old. Right, this is a right. 19-year-old player who put up those numbers in AA, signs the big contract extension, which all but assuredly means if he does spend time in the minors, it's going to be pretty short. Do you think Jackson Churio is ready to be a major league contributor, RJ? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because, like you said, he is really young. I mean, he's still 19 as of right now. I think he turns 20 in like a month's time, which is remarkable for him to already be in double A, have some success, success there, excuse me, as well as have that long-term deal. Uh, but I've had evaluators flag his approach, and you know, I think it's only fair. I don't think most 19-year-olds have a great approach when sure. you're talking about the big league level. So if he ends up spending some time at AAA, it wouldn't really shock me. I know there's always this impulse – once a player signs a pre-debut extension to have him on the opening day roster. But between his youth, his skill set, and also Milwaukee's depth chart with the outfield, as you referenced earlier, right? this might be the rare occasion where it actually makes some sense to send him the trip away, at least for a month, and just you know let him take some plate appearances where the spotlight is not hanging over the top of his head every single night out there like it would be at the MLB level. Uh, with that said, though, we're talking about a dynamic talent, right? I think he's going to have some 30-30 seasons plus at his peak, and mm-hmm. he can really go get it in center field. So he's an exciting player. I kind of hope he does start in the majors just so we get to watch him every night. But I understand developmentally if they send him down the chip way to start the year. I'm going to be really curious to see how his spring training goes just because, you know, that's a lot of pressure on a 19-year-old because you are literally, yeah. after that contract has been signed, you are battling for a spot in the – opening day lineup there is a really good chance that a guy who will turn 20 on March 11th could be playing every day and I'm glad you brought up the defense because yes this is a fantasy baseball show and fantasy points in defense not too hard or not too easy to come by but that defense matters because it's going to give him a chance to play every day like he has a chance to be on the 2080 scale a 70 grade defensive player and when you combine that with his top of the scale speed a ton of raw power I think for me, even if he isn't a guy who looks like he's going to be making the opening day roster, and a lot of that will, I think, be determined by what he does in the Cactus League, I would have FOMO with him. I would have the fear of missing out on a talent like that at the end of drafts, just because there is a chance that he could put up 30-30 rates. Now, I wouldn't necessarily bet on that in his rookie season, especially for a player his age, but it can't be withdrawn, and there's just not too many young outfielders who can do that type of thing. Um, Jordan Lawler. Now, RJ knows I've been a big Jordan Lawler fan for a very long time. Uh, Struggled in his taste of major league action, but I don't think there's any question about this guy's talent. My question for you, RJ, is I think that Jordan Lawler's ready to be a major league player. I'm not sure there's going to be that opportunity this year. Right. Yeah, I kind of agree. You know, he's never a young player. I don't really know where he fits into that Diamondbacks infield all of a sudden because, right. you know, they went out there and they traded for Suarez. So that took away the third base 
vacancy. They obviously have a pretty solid double play combination in place. You're not going to move Cattell Marte and mm-hmm. Perdomo, I believe, deserves another opportunity to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. Although, right. depending on, you know, your thoughts on his ball tracking measures, you might think it was a fluke. So who knows? <laughs> we'll see how exactly that plays out. So maybe that's the, you know, clear, cleanest path to the majors. If you're looking at a performance basis is what happens with Perdomo and or if an injury occurs. But I do agree that it seems like Lawler is going to spend some time in AAA, at least to begin the year. And I think that's okay. You know, he's still young. It's clear that, as you said, he's not quite big league ready offensively. And, you know, that's fine. Go to AAA, you know, get a half season in there. Maybe a trade happens. Maybe an injury occurs. Maybe Perdomo's performance craters. And then you slot Lawler in and, you know, we'll see what he has to offer. But, yeah, I do agree that he's probably not going to be fantasy relevant to begin the season, barring an injury or a late spring trade. Do you think he could be traded? I, I kind of look at that. Arizona, yeah, I look at that Arizona roster and I don't see a huge hole at this point. So I can't imagine what exactly you're trading Lawler for. Right. But do you think he has, because they do have some depth in the farm system and because they have a lot of young talent around them, do you think he is someone that they would consider moving? I think it would depend on the right move. And right yeah. now I'm having a hard time envisioning who exactly they would trade him for. Sure. Um, you know, I guess – the parallel is the Joey Ortiz, right? Lawler yeah. is a much better prospect, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I'm struggling to think of who exactly would have to become available for them to say, okay, well, here's Jordan Lawler. Um, but I suppose it's possible. You know, if Perdomo goes out there and plays well and that opportunity arises, whatever it may look like, maybe they would consider it. Because, you know, you got to remember, you know, in the real world, like in fantasy, there's a supply and demand issue of good shortstops. Sure. And so any shortstop who – has the potential to you know contribute on both sides of the ball is going to be viewed very as a very valuable asset. Um, I would put him in that bucket. So yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, but I don't think it's going to happen in the next few weeks. I did have let's speculate wildly. Uh oh. What about Dylan Cease? Would you be willing to move a player like Jordan Lawler in a Dylan Cease trade? And let's be honest, like the Arizona rotation is not a. Um, it's not a bad rotation by any stretch of the imagination, no. but you add Dylan Cease to that group, you're talking about a big jump. Would that be something you would consider? I guess I'd have to think about it, but yeah. realistically, you know, the way the trade market has been, I don't know. If it's yeah. one for one, I would probably give it some thought just because sure. you're right. You add Cease to a rotation that already has Gallon, has Kelly, added Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's good enough to make another run to the World Series, but sure. it would be difficult, I think, to part with someone like Lawler, um, given that I'm not 100% sold on Perdomo. So it would really have to be like a slam dunk style deal for me to really consider it, I think. Um, speaking of uh, the Diamondbacks real quick, uh, Brandon Fott, your thoughts yeah. on him for uh, 2024? I mean, he looked outstanding in the postseason, didn't he? Really he? Did. It's like something unlocked or clicked for him, and I honestly like I was like, oh, he had the start of his career last October, that uh, first game against the Phillies. And then I was like, man, I don't know. Maybe there is something here. Uh, I know he's a well-regarded prospect. I think he made some top 100 lists. So I'm really intrigued to see if he can bring obviously not that quality, but higher quality to the season. I have to say he he might be a guy who breaks out this year, but uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. He's a guy who I thought was slightly overrated coming into the year just because I think he was missing bats more on deception and command and not even really missing bats, picking up strikeouts based on deception and command. And some of those guys don't necessarily 
translate well. But then I think we overreacted to the fact that the guy was just home run unlucky as all get out and then pitched a lot better uh, down the stretch. It kind of reminds me of Taz Bradley a little bit. Oh, that's a good call. Where you just know the home run rate is not going to stick. But until it actually, until he actually goes out there and shows, yeah, I'm not a two home run per nine pitcher, there's a little bit of tentativeness, right? But, you know, when you have above average stuff, when you have above average command, excuse me, control, you're probably not going to give up two home runs per nine. So (laughs) we'll see. But yeah, I think you're probably right in that call that he's going to have a better 2024. And whether it's up to the level that he showed in the postseason, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I think he's probably, his, his arrow is trending upward. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of trending upward, let's talk about Brooks Lee. Uh, Brooks Lee hit 275, 347, 461. That's an 808 OPS, 16 homers, seven stolen bases, reached AAA in his first full season of uh, minor league action. I've been a big Brooks Lee fan for a long time. Uh, his numbers in AAA weren't great 237, 304, 428. It's a pretty small sample of 152 plate appearances. I take a look at that Minnesota infield and I kind of have a similar thought to what I have with Lawler. I'm not sure if there's an opening, but I also feel like Brooks Lee, if they feel like he's ready to go, they're going to find room for him to play in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And I too have liked Lee dating back to his draft year. And you know, I hate to say it, but I feel like Royce Lewis's health is kind of the X factor there sure. that will open the door for Lee to get significant playing time. I hope I'm wrong on that because Lewis has been incredible when he's been healthy, but you know, based on his history, you kind of have to think that there's going to be an opportunity created there at some point. And, you know, they just trade Jorge Polanco, who I like. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, I, I tend to agree that Brooks Lee is not going to be blocked for long one way or another. They'll find a way to get him into the lineup. And he's going to be a very interesting player. I believe he had some platoon issues in AAA or in the minors last season. I don't have that note in front of me. But, you know, maybe they bring him up and slot him in mostly against righties, even though he's a switch hitter. And right. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, a very, very intelligent player. You know, he's not super toolsy, not super athletic, but he can, you know, hit for contact, get on base and, you know, play a pretty solid. I believe they're going to have him, what, second base, third base. You know, he's not really a shortstop, I don't yeah. think. But yeah, he's a pretty nifty little player. I think he's an interesting one, too, because he might have more value in his rookie season go- than going forward because he will have shortstop eligibility in fantasy leagues, and I don't know if he will ever have that again. All due respect to Brooks Lee. I thought you were going to say because of his polish and his intelligence, he'll be able to like hit the ground running a little quicker, but that's yeah. a great point, too. No, no, and you know what? That's a good point, too. I, and be, the fact that this guy's baseball, baseball acumen is just off the chart uh, yeah. is going to help this guy an awful lot as well. I guess my only question mark with Brooks Lee is I don't see a guy who's going to steal a ton of bases. Like he is no. a average runner and I'm not quite sold on the power. Like I'm not saying that this is a dink and dunk hitter and it's better than I think people anticipated. I think it's one of the reasons why he slid into the later part or not later part, but slid a couple of picks later than people thought. Are you a believer in the pop? I mean, it depends on what level of pop we're talking about here. If we're saying, you know, is he going to be uh, Nico Horner? I would say no. I think he's a little bit more stronger than that. Right. Uh, I actually thought you were going to say, you know, his own health issues oh. um, could come into play as well. Unfortunately, you know, he's had his share. And I think that mm-hmm. may have also contributed to him sliding a little bit in the draft. And, you know, we say sliding, but it's not like he fell to like 30 here. You know, he yeah. went a couple of picks later than you expected. But, he, you know, entering that draft cycle, he was a legitimate candidate to go number one because of mm-hmm. how strong his offensive game is. So, 
you know, I, I think he's a pretty solid player. I think he might actually be someone I would say is more valuable in real life than in a fantasy setting because, like you said, he doesn't have that dynamic skill set where he's going to threaten 30-30 like we talked about earlier, Ochurio. But, sure. you know, he's a pretty solid player in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of more hitters and then get into the pitching. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Coming from another service, Fantrax makes it easy. Fantrax can import all of your content le- current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Do you need a customizable commissioner service for your fantasy league? Fantrax offers more customization than any other platform. Waivers, categories, scoring system, schedule. Fantrax offers custom solutions for all that and more, and it's all free. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X.com slash Rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right, so I'm kind of cheating, and I'm going to give you two names just because I think they're fairly similar, even though they're kind of different skill sets. But I want to talk about Heston Kierstad, and I want to talk about Colton Kowser. Now, there's no denying it. It was a small sample, but Kowser was awful in the major leagues last year really struggled i was surprised just because he looked so ready based on what he was doing in triple a um kirstad a little bit more success uh a guy that i think is a great story you know he was it was surprising as heck to me that he was the second overall pick still not sure that was great value in terms of process but uh really put things together and after a pretty scary injury situation for him to come back and be able to be a borderline top 30 prospect is pretty interesting. So, RJ, for 2024, which one of these outfielders are you more excited about? I would call it a push. I mean, what you said about Kerstad makes a lot of sense, but I've been a Kalzer fan dating back to his draft year. I believe I had Kalzer rated higher in his draft year than I had Kerstad. Uh, Kerstad kind of gave me some Corey Dickerson vibes. Sure. Because, you know, he's a bad ball hitter. He could put a bat on basically whatever you threw him, but 
like to expand the zone and you never know how that's going to transfer to the pro ranks and specifically mm -hmm. to the majors. So that's just one hesitation I had there. And Kalzer, you know, he can play center field if needed be, whatever. Um, my concern with both of them is like, how are they, how are they going to fit into that Orioles depth chart? Because yeah. you kind of mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Corbin Burns trade, the Orioles have, you know, a stacked position player group and they really haven't done anything to remove, you know, the log jam, so to speak. I mean, trading Joey Ortiz is nice, but you look at their depth chart and it's like, man, I don't know how they're going to fit two more outfielders into this when they have Austin Hayes and they have Cedric Mullins. And, you know, some of those infielders are presumably going to see action in the outfield too, just to get them into a lineup occasionally. So I don't know which one is more likely to have playing time opportunities out of them. You know, I think you can make a case either way and we'll see which one the Orioles feels more ready, but it's going to be difficult for either of them to really establish footholds in the majors based on what that depth chart looks like right now. They're just loaded. They they just have so much depth pretty much everywhere, but starting pitching, you know, they just got a perennial Cy Young candidate to right. help you in that regard. So, you know, it's very impressive what they're doing. I really like Kowser. I think people might be a little bit scared off by 115, 148, 434 OPS. That's There's no denying it. And it's 60 at-bats. It's not like it's right, 12 right. at-bats. It was a sample of a good month of just being absolutely – overworked i think the one positive that i take is draws 13 walks in those 26 games you'll take that so the approach never really um became an issue for him he didn't start to press i like Kowser a lot kirstad's interesting too um i think if you're looking for more of a power option like if you're playing in an al only league which is the only way you're drafting i think these guys at this point it, to start the year it, but i do think there's a chance in part because the Baltimore outfield is very talented. It's not a bastion of health. Like there have been some guys who have dealt with some injury issues along those lines. So I could see one of those guys. But if you were looking for the more power hitter guy, I think I would go with Kierstad. If you're looking for the more well-rounded game, I think you would go with Kowser. Uh, real quick, Kobe Mayo. And, and the issue with Kobe Mayo, of course, is the infield depth there. Yeah. But if he does get a chance, is he someone you're interested in for 2024? Oh, yeah. I, I will know. I just realized I did not mention Anthony Santander. That was no yeah. insult to him. He just had yeah. a big breakout season, sure blah, 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 But I felt <laughs> – I just felt like someone was going to yell at me if they're like, why didn't you mention Santander? Um, <laughs> Mayo, yeah, it's a playing time issue again because he's not a third baseman. And even if he was, you know, they have a lot of infielders competing for those priority spots. Sure. You know, are they going to give him a chance at first base? I would assume eventually. And, yeah, he's, I mean, I'm talking about big-time power. And I'm a believer, you know, you look at some of his metrics, not only in the minor league level, but even into the past, I think he's got a chance to be a middle of the order hitter for them. And again, it's just a matter of timing. It's a matter of opportunity. And I guess it's a matter of will it come with the Orioles or are they going to make another trade in the coming months to, you know, I don't know, whoever else, maybe they'll get Dylan Cease too. I don't know. Because um, when you think about the real life Orioles, you know, their books are so wide open. Oh yeah, board, but there's no reason they have to play frugal. They can go out there and you know make another splash if they really wanted to. So, um, but yeah, I'm a believer in Colby Mayo, the player. I just don't know how he fits into that equation in the short term and maybe even in the long term. I wonder if Ryan Mountcastle could be on the trade block. You know, you take a look at yeah, where he so. is in terms of like where his salary could be. You know, he's had some good years. Um, Seven seventy nine OPS last year. Um, he's been above OPS plus has been above 100 every year he's been in the majors, but he hasn't really put together that star season. And for a guy who is limited to what he's limited to, 
I wonder right. if that could make sense, like a trade that you could see maybe for a starting pitcher type of thing, Ryan Mountcastle for a starting pitcher, and maybe that opens up that spot for Mayo. Um, I'm glad you brought up the defensive thing. I know he has a howitzer for an arm. He is not a third baseman. He no. is just doesn't have the range for it. Um, maybe if desperate times call for desperate measures, you could see him playing some third base in the hot corner for him, but definitely not long-term a third baseman. This guy probably is long-term a third baseman. Let's talk about Junior Caminero. So yeah. Junior Caminero was not an unknown name coming into 2023. He wasn't really an unknown name coming into 2022. But to say his stock has risen over these last couple of years, RJ, is an understatement. Yeah. It's another case here where the depth of the Rays is going to be the issue. But I think the talent here, it's similar to the Brooks Lee thing. And we already saw him play in the majors. Right. Skipped it's over just, triple A. Really. Yeah. It's just a matter of time until Junior Caminero becomes what I think could be an offensive star. But will it be in 2024? I mean, like you said, you know, they felt good enough about him to skip him over Triple A completely. So I assume he will start the season in Durham, but I don't think it's going to be a long time before he works his way into that lineup. Talking about massive power bat at third base. Uh, you know, he's had his issues with his approach. Fair enough. You know, he's still on the young side. And, you know, I think you have to bet on a talent like that, figuring it out. And to his credit, you know, I thought he might run into some turbulence in Double A just because that's the level that usually tests guys with swing happy approaches or chase happy approaches and he more than held his own. So I think, you know, everything bodes well for him becoming a star level third baseman, whether that's in, you know, May, 2024 or a little later on in the season, we'll see, but I, I tend to agree that he's going to force the raised hand to get him into the lineup, presumably at third base. And he's going to be a pretty good one from there. Yeah. I think that there is, it's just a matter of time. Uh, it's interesting, too, with guys like Curtis Mead and some other guys that you just don't get as much uh, talk. Right. But Junior Caminero is just like a special potential player. Uh, this guy's real quick before we get to the pitchers. I meant to bring him up to you. Uh, Colt Keith, who signs the contract extension as well. Um, are you high on him for 2024? Yeah, I think he's a I have him as a top 25 prospect. I was a little surprised by that deal just because, you know, it's a bat heavy profile and I feel like maybe you should wait to see, make sure that the bat transfers against MLB pitching before you make a deal like that. But, you know, he's, he's by all accounts going to be a good hitter. I can't think of like a big knock on him or anything offensively. It's just, he's probably going to be a first baseman or, you know, somewhere low on the defensive spectrum. And I don't know. It's just always a risk. I think to rush into a deal like that with a guy who projects to be a good hitter, but not necessarily an elite hitter at a position that's probably not going to be a priority or, you know, a premium defensive spot. So I'm sure he's going to be in the opening day lineup. That lineup certainly could use another good bat sure. and we'll see what he does, but you know, nothing against them as a, as a prospect or anything. It was just a surprising deal to me. Yeah, me too. It's just, and happy for him. Go get the bag Colt and all of that good yeah. stuff. But I was just, I was pretty surprised that they were willing to go long-term without seeing exactly what Hulu looks like as a major league player. Cause we're not talking about a, a Jackson Churia. We're not talking about a Luis no. Robert type of guy. Um, it's more, uh, he's better than this. Even obviously he's better now, but he's better prospect even wise than Evan white, but yeah. kind of similar to the Evan white, Jonathan Singleton type of deals, which unfortunately those do happen where, yeah. uh, you know, no organization is going to file chapter 11 for an Evan white contract mm -hmm. or a John Singleton contract. But they're not good, so uh, we'll see exactly how that works out. One more for you. 
for 2024 only, Wyatt Langford. I think he cut out. Uh-oh. Did oh, I, sorry. Wyatt, that's okay. I was asking you if Wyatt Langford was a guy that you're high on for 2024 only. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's going to make the team out of spring training, but I think we've seen with the Rangers willingness to, you know, let Evan Carter take over late in the year during a playoff push that they are okay being aggressive with a prospect. And he is someone who has put himself on the map. I mean, I was high on him during his draft cycle. I, I ranked him number two heading into the draft, and it was – pretty close with him and Dylan Cruz because, you know, that's just how good Langford is. And I felt that he got overshadowed by Cruz. People sleep on his sneaky athleticism. Like there's a chance he could be a center fielder on some teams. I don't think it'll happen with Texas for obvious reasons, but I mean, we're talking about a guy who has more speed than you anticipate. He's obviously got a lot of strength. Um, you know, his approach is good. Uh, he's just, he's just a really, really good prospect. And I think that he's going to be up sooner than later. And I fully expect him to excel. Uh, I would have him, I mean, gosh, I think I had him as a top three or top four prospect overall. And I just, I think he's really, really good. And yeah, absolutely. I think he'll make an impact in 2024. Yeah. I talked about this with my buddy, Ryan Boyer in yesterday's podcast, and I'm coming more around to it. I just wonder that Texas outfield seems pretty set to me, man. Like you take a look at Evan Carter, who I right. personally think is better may not be the right word, but similar and has already shown that he can handle major league pitching. And then you have Leody Tavares and you have uh, Adolis Garcia. Right. I just wonder, again, it comes back to this thing of if they feel like he's ready, they're going to find a way to get him into the lineup. And they don't have a set DH at this point. Uh, Ezekiel Duran probably is the guy who's going to get most of the plate appearances there. Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I would think it would, this is just my humble estimation. It would be, I think, a mistake to draft him. Uh, in redraft leagues just because I think there are too many talented outfielders there. But you better be ready to spend some fat bucks if the if the Rangers do make that move, man, just because yeah. that offensive upside is palpable. Uh, since you brought up Dylan Cruz, um, probably not a contributor for 2024, but I think people may be underrating this guy just a little bit. I think his performance relative to a guy like Langford hurt him. I think people will – you know, we, we've heard about him for years, right? Sure. I mean, he was a first-round prospect coming out of high school until he really drew his name. And so I think at some point, prospect fatigue sets in. And I don't think it's a huge insult to him to say, oh, maybe Linkford has overtaken him as a prospect because, you know, they were both really good and they were both SEC-proven talents. And, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But, yeah, I do think people might be overreacting to, you know, Cruz's first half season as a professional. But that said, I it would not surprise me if he reaches the majors this year. Uh, maybe not as early as Langford, and maybe he's not quite as impactful as Langford right off the bat. But sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Nationals end the season with him and James Wood in the lineup. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, that's a team that can des that deserves to have some fun too. I would be a okay with that. Uh, let's move on to some pitching. Let's talk first about Kyle Harrison. Harrison made seven starts for the Giants last year, thirty-five to eleven strikeout to walk ratio, a four point one five ERA. Average allowed against of 221. RJ, the stuff is sick. I don't think there's yeah. any denying that uh, Harrison has great swing and miss stuff. Is the command going to be good enough for him to be a fantasy relevant pitcher in 2024? Maybe. I mean, he his strikeout to walk ratio in the majors last season was much better than I anticipated from him. And, you know, I guess that's a good sign. I, I'm kind of intrigued to see how they use him because, you know, the Giants have – 
in recent years been more creative and more aggressive with, you know, taking their pitchers out quicker, right? You know, they're one of those teams that's fully leaned into like the modern thinking on starting pitchers. And maybe coincidentally, maybe not, that's led them to pursue more player types like Harrison and like sure. Robbie Ray. And, you know, we can list off a few other names. Like, you know, these are not traditional starting pitching profiles in the sense of their command, although Ray has improved in that respect. But mm-hmm. um, I, I just wonder, like, maybe he's in the right spot for that. Sure. Maybe he's not in the right spot for that because, you know, Bob Melvin as the manager now, how are things changed? Are they still going to, you know, be aggressive with it? Are they going to mm. go more traditional? I guess the fact that they're giving Jordan Hicks a chance to start suggests, no, they're still going to be creative and, you know, uh, take risks that other teams wouldn't and do things that other teams wouldn't. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm just kind of, <laughs> I guess the thing with Harrison is like, I'm more concerned about the team usage of him than mm-hmm. I am about the skill set because I do feel like what you said is, has been true for him for years, right? You know, it's very modern pitching approach in terms of like the low arm slot and, you know, the stuff plays up in the zone and he gets swings and misses and all like, none of that's a concern. It's just, can he throw enough strikes and how are they going to use him? And I don't know the answer to either question at this point. So I'm kind of intrigued to find out, but you look at that giant's rotation and like, there's no doubt in my mind, he's going to crack the opening day starting five. I mean, that team needs the help. Uh, yeah. Maybe they go out there and sign Blake Snell and complete the trifecta with him and Robbie Ray, right? <laughs> and just get all those lefties who've had command issues but has sure. big swing and miss stuffs uh, in their rotation. You know, there's a good chance, RJ, that we're going to see, like, on three straight days, Kyle Harrison, Robbie Ray, and Jordan Hicks. Um, get ready for a long day at the ballpark, potentially, man, just because right. there's no denying that those guys have great swing and miss stuff. But there's also – significant control issues with those guys. And by the way, I'm glad you brought up Robbie Ray. I think he's a really intriguing hold. Um, I'm really concerned what's going to happen with Robbie Ray with a year off as a guy who has really struggled to throw strikes. Is that fair? No, I think it's fair. And we've always heard the command comes back last from Tommy John's surgery. So, you know, once he gets back and I think what July, uh, somewhere around there, you know, we'll see what happens now to his credit. He had improved his strike throwing in recent seasons. It's still kind of a recent development. So, you know, yeah. we'll see. There's a lot up in the air there. But, no, I get it completely. I mean, I hate to say it. There's a chance he comes back and his commands, you know, regress to the point sure. where he's walking four plus again. Uh, just, you know, I hate to say wait and see, but that's all we really can do in a case like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, another lefty, Ricky Tiedemann, who unfortunately dealt with injuries last year and was only yeah. limited to 44 innings. But they were pretty good 44 innings. The 3.68 ERA may not jump out to you, but 82 strikeouts in 44 innings gives you an idea of this guy's ability to miss bats. Only allowed one homer, pitching in some pretty friendly confines. Uh, Worth pointing out that his ERA, though, in New Hampshire was 5.06, was much better in his rehab appearances in Dundon, and one solid appearance in Buffalo. It seems like there's an opportunity here for Tiedemann to make an impact on the rotation in 2024. But would you bet on it? It's difficult because the skill is there. There's no doubt about that. But the health hasn't been. And he really hasn't thrown many innings. I think he's going to reach the majors this season just based on his skill level. Mm-hmm. How exactly they deploy him, that's to be determined. I mean, I could see them bringing him up in a relief role and giving him you know, two to three innings, maybe four hitting outings, trying to build up his arm without relying on him every fifth day. Uh, you know, Is that the best approach to take with him? Maybe not. But I think it's such a – unusual profile it almost kind of reminds me of the way the dodgers did with uh with bobby miller where he really didn't have the typical innings you know, workload in the minor leagues then he comes up last year and 
you know, we saw how they used them. They used them more traditionally. And I wonder if maybe that's the Blue Jays' long-term plan here. Maybe they're going to do a hybrid thing with him. I'm not really sure. It's just a matter of can his body hold up, I think, and how they want to go from there. So long rambling answer. He's going to reach the majors this season, I think. I just don't know that he's going to be a member of the rotation, and I don't know that he's going to get enough opportunity to really be fantasy relevant for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like just the fact that – and I think long-term – Definitely has a chance to be top of the rotation type of starter right, right. Uh, with three swing and miss pitches and the ability to mostly throw them for strikes. I think some of the walk issues had to do with just the long layoff. We see that a lot with young pitchers where they come back and it takes a little bit for them to find their command. Uh, question in chat. Uh, Jake, well, it's more of a statement. Jake Eater will be a stud this year for the White Sox. Are you in on Jake Eater? He's put up some monster numbers in the minor leagues. And I think that's one of, that's a trade I think we might look back on uh, in a little bit, the Jake Berger for Jake Eater trade, just because right. Berger was excellent for Miami. But Jake Eater, when healthy, has put up pretty darn good numbers. Yeah, I actually like that trade more for the White Sox than did mm. the Marlins. Now, Berger obviously went out there and you know, went crazy for sure. the second half of the season, so kudos mm-hmm. to him. And there's no doubting his power, but anytime you can get a lefty with that kind of stuff and with starter potential for, you know, let's be honest, a pretty limited first base bat or corner yeah. bat, I know he plays third base, but, you know, come on. Sure. Um, I, I think you have to do that, especially for a team in the White Sox position. So I do agree that that trade was pretty pretty nifty for them, and I'm excited to see what Eater can do. Uh, hopefully he stays healthy because there's, there's some pretty intriguing, you know, right tail possibilities for him if he does. Yeah, I think so as well. It's um... – you know, I, I question whether or not he's going to be able to uh, miss bats. At the, it's similar to the Brandon Font thing, where I think he is yeah. a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts on um, called looking or some deception in the delivery more than pure stuff. But I don't think that that's necessarily a, a huge detriment to him. It's just something I think you have to be cognizant of as well as the health. Uh, Jared Jones, a 2020 second round pick, saw his stock go way up uh, a little bit last year, but definitely this year, 126 and a third innings, 146 strikeouts, a 3.85 ERA um, was again, much better in double A than he was in triple A, not the friendliest confines for a pitcher there. I think Jared Jones is vastly underrated as not only a a long-term prospect, but somebody who may be able to help in 2024. Yeah, I think he's a, a mid-rotation prospect, and I think he'll be up this year. Uh, he should get the opportunity at least. And obviously, mm-hmm. PNC Park is generally a pretty good place for a pitcher to be. So I tend to agree. I think you know he's kind of slept on because of uh, a certain more famous teammate or a certain more famous organization mate, I should say. But sure. you know, he's a pretty solid pitching prospect himself. Yeah, I think so too. This is a guy, when he's at his best, he shows 70 fastball, two above-average secondary pitches. Uh, command needs work, but at 22, I think that's understandable. And most 22-year-olds right. uh, in life need help, much less 22-year-old pitchers. I also think it's worth pointing out that he was a two-way player uh, coming out of high school. Yeah. And a lot of these guys who just start concentrating on pitching really start to flash right around this age. Um, my one question mark is, I'm not sure Pittsburgh is going to be very good. So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of win chances there, but I don't think they're going to be abhorrent. Like the NL Central, I actually wish for guys like um, Jared Jones and another name that I'm going to bring up. I wish that we had the unbalanced schedule because I'd like to see this guy kind of feast on the division that he's going to be playing in. Right. But actually, I think Pittsburgh might not be as bad as people think. No, I mean, they made big gains last season, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think people might be overestimating the quality of a team because they just look at the year to year 
win game. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is actually a team that's right on the cusp. And I don't think they're quite there yet, Mm -hmm. but I do think they have talent. And I do think, you know, it's pretty much time to go, right? Like at some point they have to take a legitimate step forward. And with some of the young players they have arriving this year, specifically in the rotation, I think it's a chance to really make some legitimate progress. Yeah, I think so as well. And it is a, um, It'd be fun to see those fans deserve something good. And that ballpark deserves something good, by the way, too. That is the best ballpark in my humble estimation in all of baseball. You can just say, yes, I agree with you, Chris. Only behind Camden. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting call. I love Camden. I love Camden Camden. too. And I think Camden doesn't get enough respect for the fact that they kind of started the revolution of the stadium designs that we have now, which are awesome. I mean, it got a little boring, you know, seeing everybody go to the look at the old school stuff. But without them, like you don't have Safeco, you don't have San Francisco, you don't have uh, Cleveland, you don't have a bunch of stadiums that I think are pretty darn fun. Uh, I hate Wrigley Field, but I love Kate Horton. Kate Horton was the seventh pick in the draft. I think the Kate Horton story is kind of fascinating, RJ, because this guy was let's just be honest, not on the radar whatsoever in 2022 until he put together one of the more sensational runs of any pitcher I've seen in a postseason. And that's why you got to watch college baseball folks, by the way, because you get stories like Cade Horton to a lesser extent. I think Ty Floyd improved his stock immensely with his run last year. Uh, Not quite to the Cade Horton effect. Obviously one guy went in the thirties, one guy went seventh overall, but I got to be honest. I was a little skeptical because it was such a small sample Everything he did in 2023 suggests that uh, it's legit. 2.65 yeah. ERA, 117 to 27 strikeout to walk ratio in 88 and one-third innings. He was absolutely dominant when he got called up to Tennessee. A 1.33 ERA, 31 to 11 strikeout to walk ratio. I don't think there's an opening for Cade Horton right now. I would be stunned if Cade Horton isn't making starts for the Cubs by the end of the year. Oh yeah, by the by summer. I feel like yeah. I mean he's got I mean you went through it, you know, he's got the good stuff. He's a mid-rotation plus prospect to me and it's a really fun story and you're right that you know sometimes these pop up pitcher specifically, you know, you kind of wonder like, you know, is this the best stretch of his life or did he actually unlock something? And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Fott and uh there was another pitcher you we were talking about with this and I'm blanking on it now, but yeah, it goes back to all that, right? You have to evaluate of the moment, but also in larger context. And fortunately for the Cubs, fortunately for Horton, it wasn't just the of the moment evaluation. He's legitimately skilled. He's a mid-rotation or better starter, in my opinion. And I do think he'll be in that rotation by the summertime. And, you know, whether that's because of injury, whether that's because he just forces his way into the mix, I don't quite know at this point. But I suspect he's going to be a pretty good starting pitcher for Chicago for a long time to come. If not for the guy that we're going to talk about next, I might have Horton as my best pitching prospect in baseball. Like there is, and a little bit of that is starting with faint praise. We are not in the era where we are just <laughs> loaded with top pitching right. prospects right now. A lot of guys, you know, some of it has to do with some of these young arms don't qualify anymore, like Grayson Rodriguez and uh, the, all the Mariner guys that have been called up that what I think would be in that lump. But if not for, and let's just get into him. Let's talk about Livy Dunn's boyfriend. Let's talk about Paul Dunn, <laughs> the first overall pick of last year's draft. Uh, you're going to look at the minor league numbers. You're going to see a 5.40 ERA. You're also hopefully going to see how small that sample is and just completely ignore it. This guy put up, I mean, numbers in the SEC that he put up, I'm sorry, are just stupid. 
It should not yeah. be possible to be that good in a loaded baseball conference. I want to ask you this. I often get asked what the SEC would compare to in terms of professional league. Low A, is that fair? That was my instinct. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it's obviously below double A, mm-hmm. uh, trying to toy between low A and high A. It's probably, it's probably right good. in the middle of that, isn't it? Let's say, like, go look at some of the recent top SEC players and where they were sent. That probably gives you an idea of where teams are estimating that talent level falls. And I think offhand, I think it would be in the low A, high A range. Because they usually, so I, you know. I think one of the reasons that we see Skeens go with that first over pick, first overall pick, on top of just mm-hmm. having ridiculously good stuff and ridiculously good success, is the fact that I think he might be major league ready. Yeah. Would you expect Paul Skeens to make starts for the Pirates before the uh, end of 2024? Oh, yeah. I had scouts tell me last year that they thought it was Major League ready at the moment. And that if the Pirates somehow remained in contention, and obviously they faded pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but if they had remained in contention, he could have been brought up and, you know, if not started games for them because of the workload concerns, at least pitched out of the bullpen and pitched into the postseason for them. And, uh, I don't think he has a lot to learn or a lot to be challenged with in the minors. Uh, I do have slight concern about like his fastball shape. I know people, yeah. that's such a polarizing issue. And I feel like it falls in the camps between, you know, old school and new school. And we don't mm-hmm. need to get into all of that. I, I think he's going to be a pretty good pitcher regardless of all that stuff. But yeah, I fully expect him to be in the majors. Uh, the question for me is, do they try to play around with the service time a little bit to avoid super two status? Or do they say, you know what? He's a pitcher. It's not no sense worrying about that because too many of them get hurt. You know, let's not try to think about six plus years down the road. Let's just focus on what we have. And what we have right now is a very impressive and very dynamic pitching prospect. And he can help us win games immediately. So let's get him to the show as quickly as possible, along with Jones and some of these ever young players and additions they've made and see if we can't make our own run to the wild card. And maybe we can be this year's Diamondbacks. You know, that's just... Uh, that's just me trying to <laughs> uh, imagine their thinking internally. But, yeah, I mean, he's obviously fantasy relevant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't use a draft pick on him. Like, in terms of redraft leagues, I think he should be one of the first three or four if you're doing your dynasty draft, you know, if you do it after the season type of thing. Um, I'm still taking Langford and Cruz over him. Like, I just because the bat, you know. And I love guys like Walker Jenkins and Max Clark as well. Yeah. So. It's going to be hard to pass on those guys. It was a pretty darn interesting draft last year, RJ. And I want to talk to you about the 2024 draft because you do as good a job as anybody covering it. You know, just looking at my list because I am a a guy who is addicted to this stuff as well. (laughs) There's just so many intriguing college bats here. J.J. Weatherholt, Nikki Kurtz, Travis Bazana, Charlie Condon, Vance Honeycutt, Tommy White. Is this as good a college bat class since you've been covering the draft? Yeah, I think so. But also, it's funny because you just listed like all the top uh, prospects. There's like one high school guy in the top, what, 10, 15 range. And that's Connor Griffin, who right. very intriguing himself, might work himself sure. into the top five, top three, what have you. But yeah, uh, you kind of realize like this is a college heavy class. So if you want to see the future of professional baseball, you need to be tuning in, not just to the SEC, but the ACC and even some of these smaller schools like Mike Sirota. Um, we have a guy named Seaver King who played at Winthrop or Wingate. Was it? It was Wingate, right? Yeah. Went yeah. Yeah. I always mix those schools up. But yeah, I mean, it is a loaded class and uh, excited to see what happens because it's kind of unusual that I think most people would say the top three are all right side of the infielders. And, you know, 
how often do we see first baseman and second baseman competing for the number one pick? I would sure. say almost never. Who would you put at the top of that list to begin the year? For me, I would put Weatherholt. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm the Guardians or if you talk to people about who the Guardians prefer, right now they seem to prefer Bazana. Interesting. Um, um, that's at least that's the vibe that other teams are picking up from their front office. They are enamored of Bazana. They love his makeup. I've had someone say it's generational makeup, and it's like, all right, well, I mean, I'm sure. But also, you know, it's January or February. Like, we're five months off from the draft. I don't know that I've, in my experience, had a team, like, said to be enamored of a guy at number one this early uh, in the process. So I'm kind of intrigued to see where that goes. But for me, I would have Weatherhold as number one. Um, I think, you know, the comparison to Pizana is very obvious. And if you do that, you know, Weatherhold, might have a little less power potential, but I think he has a better hit tool outlook. And I think there's a little bit more room for growth, whereas Bazana feels kind of maxed out in some respects. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with drafting the most optimized player at number one. It just, you know, it, it depends on what you're looking for and, you know, how you evaluate uh, the growth potential and all that. So long, long, long answer made short. For me, I would say Weatherholt's number one prospect, but I understand completely if the Guardians for the Bazana or someone else is the number one prospect at this point in the time. I would agree with that um, in part because if you absolutely dream, maybe Weatherholt could hold his own at shortstop for a moment or two. You're going to have right. to move him to second base at some point. Um, so he would be number one on my list uh, in a real life draft. But for a fantasy draft, I wanted to ask you real quick right. about Vance Honeycutt because this is a guy with plus plus speed and plus power. Um, who is a just ridiculously good outfielder uh, as well. The question mark is the hit tool, but thinking it from a fantasy perspective, do you think Vance Honeycutt maybe deserves consideration for that top spot? Yeah. I mean, he's a potential five tool player, right? You know, he's very athletic. He's going to steal bases. He's going to hit home runs. Does have some breaking ball recognition issues that could bring down his average. And I think that's really the concern. I mean, if you think about, you know, center fielders who, have power, have speed, maybe struggle with average. We're talking about what Drew Stubbs and uh, BJ Upton and players like that. And I mean, you're the fantasy expert here, but that feels like a pretty solid player to me, at least during their better years. So yeah, I think he's in consideration and who knows, you know, maybe he's made some improvements. Uh, Maybe he's on the Chase Davis diet where he ups his stock. And if so, he might be the number one pick in real life too. I could definitely see it. It's worth pointing out too that he did cut his strikeout rate from 30%, which is abhorrent, to yeah. 20%, which isn't good, but it's nice to see that range. Like it's nice yeah. to see that type of progress being made. I'm fascinated by this draft class just because there are so many good college bats. It's unfortunate that the high school class, you know, every once in a while it's just not going to be a strength. It actually looks like based on some people I've talked to that 2025 the high school class is going to be absolutely loaded but 2020 holiday <laughs> yeah 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 another holiday this one looking even younger by the way jackson holiday he's gonna get carded for his entire life like <laughs> there's no way that dude is ever going to, unless he becomes so famous and there's a good chance that right. he does um unless he gets so famous that they just recognize his face yeah that's he's the very famous face prospect <laughs> i think i've ever seen yeah uh, i think when the first time i saw you know his face in a photograph i was like wait is that isn't that the younger holiday brother like where's jackson and then nope he turns out that is jackson that's not ethan so uh but you know it's 
it's pretty amazing to think that Matt Holiday, for as good as he was, yeah. may end up being the third best player in that family when all is said and done. I mean, you're talking about someone who, whatever Holiday in that family figured out on how to develop players, I mean, kudos to them because they have some outstanding ones coming. Two things to close out real quick. Um, was Holiday safe? <laughs> you're going to try to get me yelled at here. What was the call on the field? He was. I think he was safe on the field. Who am I to question? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And just really quickly, Jackson Holiday, who I think almost is universally considered the top prospect in baseball, if it's not Wyatt Langford, if it's not Jackson Cheerio, it's certainly Jackson Holiday. They're already reaching AAA. Is there any chance he makes a significant contribution to the Orioles in 2024? Oh, I think so. I have to believe so, even. I think he's going to be up now. I don't know if they'll make the opening day roster. Uh, one thing about them, again, is they have a log jam there. They have Gunnar so Anderson. They have Westberg. They have Hurrios. They have uh, Connor Norby is in AAA, and he would be in the big leagues for a lot of teams. You know, sure. We can just keep taking off names here. They just have so many infielders that it's hard to say for sure. That, oh, yeah, you know, Holiday has a chance to break camp with them. But I think come June or July, he'll find his way up. I mean, he's going to force his way into the majors, and from there – I fully expect that he's going to hit the ground running. You're talking about someone who's shown just, you know, preternatural offensive competency, given how young he is. And, you know, he just rushed through the minors. I think that bodes very well for him. He's going to be, at least in my opinion, he's going to be the shortstop, right? You think they move him or Gunnar Henderson off short? For me, I always, I just assume it's going to be Holiday play yeah. short. Yeah, I think Holiday's the better defensive right. player and, you know, I don't know how much this goes into it, but the fact that they... They probably want to keep him happy, right? And I think a really good way to keep him happy will probably be playing him at a shortstop. You want to keep Gunnar Henderson happy too, you know what yeah. I mean? But all due respect to Gunnar Henderson, who is a terrific player, I want him to keep Jackson Holiday as happy as possible, and I think he is the best, better defender between the two as well. Uh, yeah, keep them both happy because they're both yeah. going to be. I mean, you know, Henderson's already a star, I think, or close to it, and Holiday's yeah. going to be a star. Imagine very having soon. Adley Rutschman as your third best young player. I mean, imagine the guys we're talking about for like fifth, sixth, seventh best young player. You know, some yeah. of the guys we talked about earlier, yeah. Yeah. Mayo and Kalzer and Kerstad, it's just like a, it's an embarrassment of riches there. And kudos to their drafting and development departments. Hopefully the new ownership group Boy. puts some money down because that's the only thing separating that team from being arguably, you know, the best in class or at least one of the best in class is an actual financial uh, investment from above because, you know, it, it would be a shame for them to lose some of these guys to free agency at the first available moment. Like the books are wide open, you know, let's let's start locking some of these guys up and go from there. Make Camden the best ballpark in, you know, all baseball, (laughs) uh, you know, a lively experience year after year after year. Absolutely. Uh, RJ, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell everyone how they can follow your fine work. Uh, Just go to cbssports.com slash MLB and, you know, click on, their stuff. I mean, you know, Dane Perry, Mike Excuse, and Matt Snyder are all very good. I think we have all the bases covered. You know, we do everything. It's a small staff, but our, you know, I don't know, our range is unbelievable to me, even yeah. being part of it for, I think, almost eight years now, which is it's crazy. As to think it, about. It's as good as it gets, despite Dane, to be honest with you, like just yeah. a horrific human being, but uh, an okay writer. Um, That's going to do it for the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thank you again to Fantrax for sponsoring the show. 
Um, really appreciate you guys checking out our socials. Go to rotowire.com slash pod for a free look behind our paywall. And you're going to want that because your fantasy draft is coming up. Lots of great stuff. Again, daily episodes coming out this week. I'll be back on Sunday for with a new guest. And uh, we really appreciate the support. Talk to you guys soon. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.